thinking about how we live while we are on earth is a very important component of what it means to follow Jesus. And the commandments that we have been looking at, these 10 words, were given by God to his, his, the nation of Israel as part of the law. Remember, they came out of Egypt when these words were given. Uh, they came out as a people without any real overriding constitution or identity. They had been enslaved for generations. Here they are, just been set free. They don't have a sense of identity, a sense of what the blessed life is going to look like. God, out of his grace, gives them boundary lines, ways of living that, G that, that God taught us that if, if they were honored would produce a blessing generationally. And the Ten Commandments are, are the centerpiece of God's law. The law wasn't given to, to just sort of oppress the people of Israel. He wasn't simply replacing their oppression. You get, Remember that. He, they came out of a, an oppressed, oppressed place, and God is taking them to a land of promise, and he's not like laying on to them these laws so that they can just carry additional, a different kind of weight as a people. He's saying, I want you to have these words because these words, when they're honored, will produce generational and national blessing over you. And, so, and Jesus, when he was on earth, amplified that as well. He talked about the commands. He talked about these 10, as we're exploring in this year, 2010, this 10 and 10. He talked about these words, and he, and he expanded upon them. Remember, we talked about how he brought them to the place where he said they can essentially be reduced to two great commands. One is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God first. We talk about commandments 1 through 4, focusing on loving God first. But commandments 5 through 10, focus on loving people. And the Lord talked about that. And the second is like unto this, that you love your neighbor as yourself. Love people. Pay attention to relationships. It, love God, love people. This are the key things in life, according to Jesus. Now, having said that, we're now, we come to this, this uh, seventh of the ten. And I can tell you that for weeks I've been thinking about how do I talk about this commandment? Because um, inevitably it either sections off a portion of our, our audience because it's talking about adultery. Next is 2014, you shall not commit adultery. Adultery, of course, is something that is rampant in our culture. It's, it's betrayal. It's violation. It's, I can tell you that it, it leaves tremendous collateral damage. Even when we've tried to, to work with couples who go through it, very, very impactful. Uh, hurt. A lot of stuff associated with this. But it's interesting that when Jesus talked about it in the Sermon on the Mount, just like he did with the Sixth Command, which talked about don't kill anybody, he talked about how a lot of people felt like, well, they didn't break that command because they hadn't killed anyone and murdered anyone. In, in their, and Jesus said, but if you've been angry with that cause, if you, if you have demeaned another human being in your rage, spoken ill to them and reduced them to the realm of nothing, called them a fool or worse, he says, you've already violated this command. And he did the same thing to this seventh command on adultery. Look what he said, just real quick. We'll just, we're not going to spend a ton of time here. But I just wanted to show us that Jesus, as many of us know, took this to a whole nother level. See, initially the commandment is sort of only something that would maybe apply mostly to those who are married. And yet, by the time we look at what Jesus says here about how if, if you look at someone and you've allowed certain uh, illegitimate feelings to uh, just prevail inside of our heart, he says, then you've already committed adultery in your heart. And of course, this takes it to an entirely different realm. Uh, now we're, we're talking about something that is so broad that none of us really escape it, I don't think. Certainly not in a culture like ours. 
And we, we, we have to live, talk about this. You know, what was Jesus trying to do? Now, was he saying it's exactly the same thing? I don't think so. I don't think Jesus was implying that, for example, if we're mad, with someone, mad at somebody, that it's exactly the same thing as actually killing someone. Or if we have uh, an unhealthy lust for something that's inappropriate, that, that somehow that's the same thing as absolute, the same thing as the act of committing adultery. I, I, don't, I, I think he's saying it's tied, it's, we violate the Lord's way, yes. But obviously from a person who, think about it. Uh, it, it is different. I don't think Jesus was implying there wasn't a difference. What he was trying to get at was that there's, as far as our innocence and guilt before God, um, none of us, if we're thinking about somehow trying to impress the Lord that we somehow keep his commands completely, Jesus was making it very clear that none of us actually do that. That we all need God. We all um, lack something of our own uh, perfect righteousness. Therefore, we are all in need of a savior. Therefore, there is no room for real pride and judgmentalism. So he wasn't saying things don't matter. There is no moral law. But what he was trying to imply is let each one of us examine our own heart. Let each one of us remember that there is internal work that we all also have to be willing to do. And so as I approached this, I was reminded of something, of a story that I had read early on. I actually had read this story from uh, a, a book that Robert Schuller uh, had written. Robert Schuller, the, the, the founder of that, the church in Southern California, uh, the Crystal Cathedral. And, and Schuller has written numerous books. But one of his books, he talked about a trip that he took to the Holy Land and how he had come into to a purchase of a, of a water jug, an antique water jug. And uh, he referred to how he would keep, the reason it caught my attention in relation to this commandment is because he talked about how he would keep this jug in his office when he counseled couples who were working through uh, adultery. He would refer to this jug. And uh, let me just read this to you, kind of give it, kind of puts it into perspective. He says, on my first trip to the Holy Land, I purchased an antique water jug. He says, it didn't, cost much, but it was a priceless souvenir that contained memories and feelings of a spiritually uplifting visit to my Lord's homeland. So I packed it in my flight bag along with some rocks that I had picked up along the way. In retrospect, I can see it was folly to mix the rocks with the pottery, because when the strap of my flight bag broke, the rocks crashed into the fragile pottery, breaking it into pieces. I started to throw out the broken parts when my wife protested, Bob, I can fix that. So I took it all home. Here she painstakingly glued it back together, piece by piece. Believe it or not, she repaired the jug. Each piece was in place. But he said, you could still see every crack, every line where the pieces had been joined. The jug was repaired, but nothing could ever cover up the damage that had been done. And Schiller goes on to say, and this part is in your handout, actually, in the quote section. He says, that jug sat on a shelf in my office for years. And when he would bring in couples who were being devastated by the impact of some type of a betrayal, he says, I would take down the jug and I would tell them that they could put their marriage back together again if they were willing to work very, very hard. And after time, he said, faith could be recovered. But he was also being honest. But the scars of infidelity would never be completely erased. And then he, you know, falls into his... Schullerian maxims, right? He, he says, the couple would have to turn these scars into stars. They would have to learn to forgive, for they would never be able to forget completely. And he talked about how really for God can take even the broken things in life. Isn't this great? And we're all, we, look, God is amazingly able to take the broken things of life and to make good come from those broken places. 
One of the great miracles I get to participate in on a regular basis is watching the Lord transform people's lives. Not only do I get to listen to my own story, which is a story of continual exchange with God, as all of ours really ultimately is, of birth, of breaking, of rebirth, of growing again. But a lot of times we get to see in amazing ways God do some extraordinary things where, where something has been absolutely broken and shattered into pieces. And God, I often think the glue can be his spirit, begins to hold something that should have never, ever been able to be what it was uh, supposed to be. He can bring it back together and make it something that becomes not only beautiful, at least it, it, it may not be what it was, but it's still a beautiful, and it becomes an illustration of blessing and a testimony of the grace of God. Do you see it? How there are certain, certain things in life that when, God, when, we, when we get them better, they become a testimony to other people about what God can do, and in fact, inspire a lot of others to want to follow him as well. And remind, don't, don't be ever defeated, because God can do amazing things. But again, adultery is something that uh, has tremendous, devastating impact. I can be honest with you about this. I've sat in, in rooms with couples, with a husband and wife, and had to have them look at one another and repent and pray and, and uh, tears and hurt, woundedness. Children, when they're involved, devastating. Friends and family are affected by it. I can appeal to some of you now. Some of us, if, if, if we, some of us are really, actually, I, I'm not so naive to believe that some of us either right now have gotten ourselves into some situation where we're very close to crossing lines that we should not be crossing. And God wants to speak to us and remind us to, to don't walk over that edge. We're going to talk about these things. Let's talk about for a moment three reasons why people um, commit adultery. And I want to use that as actually a platform for broadening this out to not just those of us who are married, but to those of us just in terms of our own friendships and key relationships. But I want to sit with these concepts for a moment. These concepts actually come from a book that's called The Myth of the Greener Grass uh, by a man named J. Allen Peterson. I first read this book when I was just uh, newly married. It wasn't that long after I was married. Uh, and in this book, Peterson actually talks about three reasons. He called them three primary reasons why he's noticed that people tend to fall into adultery and commit it. And he's, he, put, he listed them, and they were these three. He said one of them was emotional immaturity. He said the second one was unresolved conflict. And the third one he described as unmet needs. And I just wanted to sit with the first one for a moment, this idea of emotional immaturity. Because when we're talking about emotional immaturity, we're basically talking about the inability to say no to things that we know can, are going to hurt us and maybe aren't even good for us, but we just can't, we can't do it. We can't stop it. Uh, we're talking about the desire to get our way no matter what. One of the things the Lord, you know, here, here, check this out for a moment. There's this interesting sort of two-sided component to child, to being a child, in terms of how Jesus used the term. Just hold for one second. Think about this. The Lord talked about how if we're really going to really move forward with God relationally, we've got to come to him like a little child. He would use that illustration on a regular basis. He would say, cultivate a childlikeness, because he says, you know, the kingdom of God is, is open to those who come to it into it as a child. Well, how does a child come? A child comes somewhat innocently, open. There's an openness. There's an ability to wonder. There's a believability. Sometimes we know that that, that openness, as life goes on, there comes a certain point where reality sets in, and, and many times as we're growing older, as our, we move forward in our years, we quickly learn that the innocent are taken advantage of, the gullible um, are laughed at, 
Uh, we are very, we begin to get more guarded with our emotions. Uh, we begin to learn. Some people, we, we grow, we become more cynical. Uh, we question things differently. There's, there's a lack of, child, put like, child likeness has an ability to receive something that maybe sometimes as adults who've been hurt, wounded, and taken advantage of, we're more guarded. What Jesus was getting at was the value of dropping our guard and how really moving forward with God is going to require us to risk vulnerability. But I could be hurt if I do that. That's true, but you won't be if you trust me, Jesus says. Come to me as a child. Childlikeness is good. We should keep, listen, one of the goals as a follower of Jesus should be to keep a childlike heart all the days of our life. Lord, don't, don't get me bogged down in negativity. Keep me wondering. Keep me growing. Keep, keep reminding me that this is an adventure with you. Um, keep my heart soft before you, not hard. Don't let the disappointments of, disappointments of life wear me down and define me. Don't allow me to get bitter about things, angry, resentful. Don't, Lord, keep me soft, open, vulnerable, happy, an essentially happy person. That's childlikeness. But emotional immaturity is really connected to childishness, and there's a difference. We all are to be childlike, but when an adult is childish, it's not good. Let me show you what Paul wrote about this. In 1 Corinthians 13, 11, he said this. This will go up on the, on the screen. Paul said, you know, and this is in that great love chapter that focuses on love. He says, when I was a child, I, I spoke as a child. I understood as a, a child. I thought as a child. But Paul says, but now I, I have become a man, and I have put away childish things. What Paul was getting at is that there was a period in his life that he began to grow into a point of maturity. I'll tell you this right now, that there, um, <laughs> there are a lot of adults who, uh, who never grow up. And... Um, you know, one of the characteristics of small children, and we've raised four of them. Uh, my, my, my kids are much older now. Um, you know, our oldest son is, is, you know, 21. My oldest daughter is 20. Uh, our younger son, he's 18. And our baby is 15, our, baby, our youngest daughter. I found myself thinking back to when they were all little because they were all together. It was in a very short period of our life where seemed like we had this endless stream of diapers for like 10 years. Um, but it was about a, a five-year, five-and-a-half-year period where we had them, you know, six, about six years, yeah. And I remember, um, you know, going places, and, and uh, I remember how the little, they would act when they didn't get their way. And one of them in particular was very challenging, and I am forbidden for saying which one that one was because <laughs> I know they're going to hear it. But... I remember having certain times where, because if you would take something away from them that they wanted, um, or uh, if, if they, they had it, or they wanted it, and they didn't get it, you would oftentimes have these, these fits, right? And uh, the stronger the will, the worse the fit. And uh, they quickly discerned, especially this one that I'm not going to name, <laughs> that there was a more latitude that tended to occur in public environments. It is amazing how shrewd children are in terms of being able to pit a mom against a dad at times uh, to perceive that, wow, in this situation here, I can get away with a whole lot more than I could back home maybe. Um, and so I remember having these times where we would just, we, there were times we, we just had to concede. There was nothing we could do. We could wave the right flag and say, you win for now. But we will, we will come back. <laughs> we, we will come back to this. Uh, 
But I do think that some people never grow up. And I think it's possible to be very old in years, or at least older in years, and, and still struggle deeply with maturity in terms of self-management and restraint, particularly around things that are unhelpful, unhealthy, and destructive. Many of us even now find ourselves in situations where we are really battling with, I'll use the word, internal demons, that, that there are areas of our past, perhaps, or things that we've got ourselves into that we would be ashamed to tell people about. Uh, we we uh, are stuck. We feel, we feel imprisoned at some level by, by these habits. I mean, frequently we talk about certain things that, that could just wreak havoc in a, in a life. And sometimes this inability to say no to things. Uh, one of the signs of maturity is that it, it has the capacity to delay gratification. Some of us really struggle. We, we see something, we want it, we, we, the, the, the feelings associated with it, we just do it. And then it costs us so much on the backside. And some of us get caught in this vicious cycle where we simultaneously are compelled by something and hate ourselves for it. And it see, let me tell you something. The Lord wants to bring freedom into every area of our life. He whom the sun sets free, Jesus said, is free indeed. He doesn't want us to live in duplicious ways, hypocritical ways. He wants to increasingly get us to be a people who what we are is, 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 a, is a true, authentic um, representation of who we really are. That's his will. That's his plan. I think um, a lot of times adults have a hard time saying no to things. And again, I'll just use another illustration. And this one is, goes back to when the kids were also little. And my children were very little. Um, and we had this tradition, that my wife started it, where she would bring all of them around Christmas time, they would all get an advent calendar. And in the advent calendar, when I was growing up, an advent calendar would be one of those things that had each of the days leading up to Christmas, and you'd open up a little window in the, this cardboard calendar, and there would be a, a picture or a verse or something really interesting. But the calendars that my wife gave, got for the kids uh, were calendars that were advent calendars leading up to Christmas, but each one of them were, was filled with a, a chocolate. So you would open the door, and then you'd get a chocolate for that day. So it was kind of like an extra kind of fun thing to heading towards Christmas, and, and uh, the kids loved it, and, and we would, you know, we, we, I remember sitting down with the kids, and we would say, okay, you're each going to get one of these, and here's the deal. Here's how it works. And, and Aubrey, I think, was almost four. She was three, three but almost four. And uh, that, that, we sat down, we said, okay, here's the thing. You, this is to get us to Christmas. Each day, you open up one of the doors, you take a piece of chocolate, get to eat it anytime you want it in a day, you know, and just, stay, you know. So we talked about it. That's the thing. You can only use your calendar, not anybody else's, <laughs> right? That's how it works. Everybody agrees, right? So, well, anyway, bottom line is Aubrey opened, opened up hers when no one was around, and she opened up more than her allotted day share, I'll tell you that. <laughs> now, the truth is that she opened it up, and she ate almost all of them. And obviously, she wasn't supposed to do that, and she, she, um, you know, she, we, we explained it, and so she, you know, she got in trouble. Well, the other kids, um, the other three, quickly realized that their calendars were at risk. And so, <laughs> uh, and they, they realized that at an especially weak and willful moment, Aubrey might seize upon, upon them, uh, oblivious to the potential of consequence, right? 
So Caleb and Chloe, the older two, they, they took their calendars and they, they put them up, right? They put them up and they took precautions. They placed them up where they knew she couldn't get to them. But Jacob, uh, her, her older brother, on the other hand, still lacking real experience to draw off of, uh, <laughs> unwittingly placed his at the edge of his bed as he turned in for the night, too tired to anticipate the calamity that was about to befall him. <laughs> Suffice to say that when he arose the next morning, every single door on his calendar was open and empty. And there before him stood the robber with chocolate dribbling down her mouth. <laughs> That's my baby. <laughs> my peanut. I'm innocent was the declaration. <laughs> Caught chocolate handed, right? Um, but, oh, man, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. I couldn't help myself, Daddy. You know, and this whole thing is, you know, and again, it's cute when you're little, kind of, but when an adult gets there, hmm, that's not so good anymore because we, we can get drawn into things like a moth getting drawn to a flame, and we end up not only hurting ourselves, listen, not only hurting ourselves, not only hurting our own relationship with God, but we hurt a lot of people. And the Lord wants us to, listen, he wants us to bless people in our lives, not hurt them. It means we're not, we're not going to just always be able to get away with, I'm only living for me. i got to take care of me. It's about what I want, what I need. It's, it, 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 it's got, our faith has to show up sacrificially at times. And I was reminded of, of the verses, and I put these in your handout in Ephesians 4, verses 14 and 15. It says this, look at this. Here's the concept right there for us then we will no longer be immature like children. See, there it is, right? There it is. It's linking childish. This, is, this idea is that we, we are not to be like children in this way, that, that we just give in to everything or just run past boundaries, that, that there is to be a degree of restraint that begins to flow into our lives, that um, we are not tossed and blown about by every wind of doctrine and teaching. Look at verse 15. Instead, we learn to speak the truth which, this is the epitome of healthiness, the truth, but in love. I've met people, and I suppose I've been one of them at some times, who've spoken truth, but not in love. And there's such a thing as loving words that aren't really so loving at all because they're not grounded in truth. Speak the truth in what? In love. And what does he say? Growing in every way more and more like Christ. See, what is the will of God for all of us? Is to grow is to grow into points of maturity. One of the ways that we can do this best, I think, is by taking seriously what the Lord taught us about what, how, to, how to cultivate a growing life with him. He talked about spending time with his words. How are we doing, doing re, reading his words? Are his words living in us? Are we creating a prayerful life, a, convert, a conversational life with God? And how are we doing in terms of creating relational Opportunities. That's what we talk about, small group. I had a phone call from someone who, who was talking to me about some issues that they were working through, and I, I talked with them about it. Through, just I was listening to them, and, and they were telling me about some problems that they were having. And I said this. I said, let me ask you a question. I said, are you part of a, are you part of a small group? Are you part of a men's group? Have you even gotten part of any kind of a community group? Do you have anybody in your life who you can pray with, who you can share your heart with, who you can share this struggle with, who can begin to hold you in a good way accountable till you get strong? Well, you know, I, I didn't really, 
I really haven't you know, wanted to do that. And I said, listen, I go, this is the kind of thing we're not going to get better by ourselves. You're going to need to have other people training with you who can love you and hold you accountable to what you want to do, who can pray for one another. The Bible says pray for one another, right? Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. There is some healing that cannot come in isolation, that sometimes isolation, which is an understandable aspect of how we want to deal with things because we're ashamed, will ultimately not allow us to get better. And I understand we don't just walk around telling all of our struggles to everybody. There's, a, there's such a thing as discretion. We understand that. But listen, there are some things that will not get better until we come clean and begin to pray and create a strategy for getting past it. And the Lord wants us to be a growing people, to grow in him, to not have to hide things, to get better, to love better, to have our most meaningful relationships prevail and succeed for the long haul. This is the will of God. Second thing that Peter said, Peterson said, and I have to just note this fairly quickly, he talked about the, 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 the need to um, resolve conflict, right? He said that a lot of times unresolved conflict is what propels people into foolish decisions and into unhealthy relationships and causes them sometimes just to co commit relational uh, betrayal. It, and a lot of it is connected to conflict. One of the things that we, rem we remind ourselves of is that the Bible wants us to be a people, whether it's true in a, in a home, it's true in our friendships, that are, are quick to resolve, as much as lies within us to live at peace. And that means some of us, we harbor anger way too long. One of the things the Bible says, and this is quick, in Ephesians 4, it talks about how we are, look at this, be angry, but do not sin. There is such a thing as being angry, but not sinning, not going over a line that begins to, to then all of a sudden grieve God and do real damage. Want to look at the solution the Bible gives. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. What is, that, what is the Bible saying there? Don't go to sleep. Don't let a day end with something just sitting out there that is unresolved anger. If it's in our power to do so, let us ask for forgiveness. Let us, let us seek a resolution. Let us seek to let go of this thing. Maybe sometimes for some of us, just surrender it to the Lord. Lord, I, I leave this with you. Please don't allow anger to fester in my heart while I'm sleeping this day. Keep me at, in a place of freedom. Third thing Peterson said was what? Emotional immaturity, unresolved conflict, and unmet needs. And you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me that all of us have a need in our lives to have um, some type of relational, uh, emotional nourishment. Uh, I think it's pretty clear. Uh, a lot of times we, we find ourselves in situations where uh, we, we are are feeling neglected. I'm talking about relational neglect. And here's the thing. Sometimes the way it works is that we take, it's so easy for us to take people we love for granted. I don't know what it is in, in a, about us. Well, it's a human thing, I guess. Um, we can do it with God. It's just a, the tendency to somehow, we get casual with someone, the years go by, we assume things about the friendship, the relationship, and all of a sudden we're treating a person that we love or should be loving like, 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 just, you know, nothing. We're not being tender. We're not affirming. Criticism prevails. There's tension. Remember, we, we always talk about it. You know, if we focus on the flaw of anything, we rob it of its ability to bless us. A lot of us are saying, well, you know, um, I, I, I'm just tired of this. But you know what? You know what, the, you know what the, listen, the grass is always greener where it's watered. That's right. <laughs> 
And some are saying that, you know, I, I, I want to I mean, you know, go to the other place. It's got better grass. <laughs> and, yet, and yet in this place, I will say very clearly that God calls us to these places where he wants us to water what we've been given, really, truly, that honoring him is going to look like loving the people well and saying thank you, Lord, and affirming more and being less critical. That sounds so basic. But these are the things when they're allowed to just sort of ferment in our lives, they produce breakdowns. God's all about getting us better. You know, the song that we're closing with is an interesting song. It's called The New Day. And we picked it because, one, it celebrates love that endures. And we often thought about, you know, we celebrate, we acknowledge things, but a lot of times we don't really honor um, the beauty of committed love. And, and I was thinking about, in the song, it's, it's kind of neat because it talks about the uh, things that, that um, the simple gifts of life that we should be grateful for. You know, and it, it says, melody, coffee, and uh, hope. Hope, coffee, and melody. A new day, a new sunrise. Uh, it's, it's some of us might say it might be tea, you know. Whatever. I love coffee, but the idea of melody. God has... The whole idea is that there are these blessings in, that we have in life. Let's not focus on the negative stuff. Let's, let's stay alive with God. Let's be an essentially joyful person. Let's bless people we love. Let's be quick to forgive. Let's not hold on to resentment. Let's not allow ourselves to build up walls so that there's just silence in, a play, in relationships. Let's try as much as lies within us to be a people who reconcile quickly, um, who are open to, to growing with God. You see what I'm talking about? This is what the Christian life looks like. It's what we need to pursue. Let me pray. Lord, I want to thank you so much for um, the opportunity we have to engage you and to think about just our lives and about life in general and what it means to be called to a growing place. And I know, Lord, that one of the best ways to not fall into destructive places is to cultivate a healthy life. That when we're growing in love with you, when we're expanding in our spiritual lives, what happens is we just, we just end up wanting to do the right things. And blessing just naturally flows. It follows as true as night follows the day and day follows the night. It just comes. It's the way of the Lord. There are principles, there are things that you've modeled for us, Lord, that if we will seek by your grace to implement them in our lives and our homes, there will be so much blessing, so much goodness, so much life that will flow out that we will only be able to say, surely the Lord has done this. And I just really ask that you would allow us, Lord, to not so much lament on what, what we may have um, found ourselves in or even what isn't working, and instead focus, Lord, on the enormous opportunity that is before us to love well, help us be thankful for people in our lives, for our relationship with you, for the gift of a new day, for simple blessings. Let our heart be open and light. I pray this, Lord, by your grace, help us to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.